So um, this week I was reading about um, basic human physiological needs, like the basic needs that you and I need as human beings. What do you think some of those are? Water, that's one, right? We, gotta, we have to drink. If we don't drink, we die. What, what else? Oxygen, we got to breathe, right? Food, I heard food, we got to eat. What's one more? Shelter, shelter, yes, it's, you know, depending on the climate. What's one more? Sleep, right? You don't sleep, bad things happen to us. So I was reading about this this week, and uh, I stumbled across this article by a guy named Sean Kane. Sean Kane. And so he was just talking about this and, like, how long our bodies can go without those things. You know, like, these are needs that we have as, a, as human beings, but what happens when we don't have those needs? And then he started talking about, like, what's the longest people have gone without these things? And it was so interesting. So, like, air, for example, um, the, uh, the normal person, if you don't have oxygen, if you're not breathing for three minutes, like, probably few of us can hold our breath for three minutes. But if you don't get oxygen in your body in three minutes, for the average person, you die. You be, at least begin to die. The world record, however, for holding your breath, get this, 11 minutes, 35 seconds. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine holding your breath that long? And then they said, and if you um, take one deep breath of pure oxygen before that, the record is 22 minutes and 22 seconds. Is that ridiculous or what? I can't imagine not breathing for 22 minutes. Okay, so how about water? So they said that the normal person, you can go for about three days, it varies a lot per person, but you can go for about three days without having water and then your body you know, really begins to shut down. However, the record in 1979, this is, this is weird, this is kind of sad, but in 1979, there was an Austrian man who was arrested, I think in Austria, and they put him in a holding cell, it's true. They put him in a holding cell and they forgot about him. And 18 days later, they're like, whatever happened to that guy? And they go in, and he was still alive 18 days later with no water. Now, it's a little fuzzy because they said that um, he was licking the, the walls, the condensation off the walls just to get a little bit of water to live. But 18 days, can you imagine that? crazy. How about this one? So food. So this is another one that like varies widely, right? Like how long we could go without eating food. I miss a meal and I'm like super cranky, right? Some people could go, you know, a day or two days without eating and they're totally cool. However, um, the, the world record, ready, is this, and this is another sad thing, but this Irish political prisoner, his name was Terence McSweeney. He went on a hunger strike in prison. He lasted 74 days. 74 days, can you imagine that? Without eating one thing. It's crazy. How about sleep, right? Like I've talked about this in the past. Like sleep deprivation is terrible. You know, we were, we were talking earlier, you know, like when, when you have, uh, you know, like insomnia and you can't sleep, like it, it like wreaks havoc on our body. Literally, our brain starts to shut down and fall apart when we don't get enough sleep. Doctors actually don't know why our brains have to have that rest, but it's really important. So um, the, the record with this um, was, is generally considered a guy, a guy, I think he was a kid at the time named Randy Gardner. So at the science, at his science fair in 1965, he stayed awake for 264 straight hours. That's 11 days straight. 
11 days straight of not getting a wink of sleep. Yeah, you know, like, geez, it's crazy. Because we have these needs. Like, we have these basic, you know, f- physiological human needs that each of us have. And if we don't get those needs met, if we, you know, miss those things for too long, then our body begins to shut down and our body will actually die because they're needs, right? We need to have those things. It's how God made us. It's how God wired our body. And, and, you know, the needs are continual. And so it's not like, you know, I have this need met today. I ate today. I slept today. I drank today. I breathed today. And now I'm good for a few days. Like, we got to do that every single day, right? They're continual needs. Well, it's in that understanding um, that Jesus says something really interesting in this passage that we've been studying. So this is Matthew 5, 6. Jesus says, blessed or happy are those that hunger and thirst. Those are basic human physiological needs, right? Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. As you read that, I don't know what you think when you read that. You think, like, what does Jesus mean by that? Blessed are those that hunger and thirst, like the basic human needs we have, that if they don't get met, bad things happen to us. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Well, this is what we're going to talk about today. If, uh, if you're a guest with us, we've been in this series over the last four weeks. This is the fourth week called Happy. And we're looking at the very first sermon of Jesus's that we have in the Bible. Actually, we're looking at the first part of the first sermon of Jesus's in the Bible, and it's called the Sermon on the Mountain. So the context, I'll just remind you, is that there's this big crowd of people that's following Jesus, and they're struggling people. You know, Jesus is doing miraculous things. And so the hurting people realize it, right? And they start following him. They start start spending time with him. And so Jesus has this crowd of people following him. He kind of goes up on the side of a mountain where he's elevated above them, and he begins to teach them. And the things that he teaches them are so countercultural. Interestingly, he starts off on happiness. The very first topic that he teaches is on happiness. And he talks about eight ways that lead to like a, a lasting happiness, a meaningful happiness. Maybe defining happiness different than what we do, you know, short-term happiness. I feel, I feel happy today. You know, the kind of happiness that Jesus is talking about is a different kind of happiness. It's a lasting kind of happiness. And so he talks about eight of these ways. They're called the Beatitudes. What Beatitude means, the Latin word that just means blessing. And so each of these starts out the same way as this one in Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are the dot, 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 poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are dot, dot, dot. And so that word blessed could also be translated as happy, blessed or happy. And so each week of this series, we've been looking at one of these beatitudes or one of these keys to happiness. And, you know, we've said each week that they're really different than what the world would say is happy. You know, the world says things like, blessed are the rich, you're going to be really, really happy. You get everything that you want. That's what leads to happiness. And Jesus doesn't, like what Jesus says actually is in many ways the opposite of that. Blessed are, are those that are poor in spirit. Blessed are us when we realize how poor we really am, that we really are. And so what he talks about is very different. It's very countercultural. But according to Jesus, these are the things that bring life change in us. These are the things that bring blessing and bring ultimate happiness. 
So I'm not going to take the time to go back through um, each of the previous weeks, but I really encourage you, if you missed those, especially those first two weeks, the first two weeks, blessed are those that are poor in spirit and blessed are those that mourn, are really foundational for the rest of these Beatitudes. And so if you missed that, you can find it online on our website. You can uh, follow on the app as well. Um, this week, we're going to talk about this fourth beatitude. And so I want to look at it again. But as I do, I want to challenge you um, another time the way that I'm challenging myself. So, um, you know, as we get to be adults, it's so easy to, like, never memorize anything. And there's, there is power by having God's word deep inside of our heart. Like, I know it. It's, it's, in, it's within me. And so in the series, I've been challenging you, like, what would it look like for us to memorize these yeah, I know memorization is harder as we get older, but what if we just have one a week? Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Like, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are, you know, the meek. And if we memorize those each week, um, I think it could be a really cool thing for us as a campus. So I want to challenge you again to do that. I want to read all of these again because I think it just helps to, like, get it into our hearts. So here's what it says. So this is Matthew 5, starting in verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, here we go, here's the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he kind of expands on this one. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Every time I read that, I'm just struck by like how different that is from what the world says. You know, I mean, it is like Jesus' standard is very different than the world's standard. And what he says is this is what leads to happiness, to lasting, meaningful happiness. And so this morning, I want to dig into the fourth beatitude here. Um, again, blessed or happy are those who hunger or thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And I want to jump right into an explanation here. But before I do, I want to say this. So like, you know, when you, when you prepare for a sermon, like I, I, I've known what I was going to talk about, like the, the scripture passage I'm going to talk about uh, for a while for this week. But sometimes you jump in and there's things that you're like not expecting, you know. And this is one of those weeks where I had a basic idea of what this meant. But as you like pray through it and dig in deeper, there's a lot of things that stretched me this week that I learned um, I think the breadth of what Jesus meant in this passage, like there's a lot more than maybe what we would just get at surface value when we read that. So I'm praying, I didn't love how my sermon went last night. So I've been praying that um, God would just allow me to explain this a little bit better because it was really, uh, it's been significant for me in my heart this week. So I want to look at it. Um, he says, blessed are the, so blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. And so we already said that like hunger and thirst are two of the basic, you know, human physiological needs that we have, right? Like if we don't have those things, we die. And so you think about that and you think, okay, so what is Jesus saying? Essentially Jesus is saying, blessed are those whose most important needs, like that they are, they will literally die without 
that they're starving for. Blessed are those who are starving for righteousness. And that word righteousness, we'll throw up the Greek word here. I always say it wrong. Dikaiosene. Dikaiosene. Like any of you really care if I say it right, right? But dikaiosene. And so it carries with it this idea of rightness. Like I'm, I'm conforming to God's standard for things. It, uh, another word that's used interchangeably is justice, righteousness or justice, doing the will of God. And so if we think of it that way, then maybe what Jesus is saying is this, blessed are those who are like starving for righteousness. Blessed are those who are starving for justice. He says they will be filled. And so I was thinking about that this week. I just, you know, asking God, show me what you want me to to get with this. And the first thing, like when I think about starving for righteousness, the first thing that I think about is myself. Like maybe that's just normal for me. I don't know. But the first thing that I think about is myself. And I think about like personal righteousness. So here's, the, here's like the first question that I ask myself when I read what Jesus says here. Am I starving for personal righteousness? And I want you to ask yourself that question. Like, am, are you starving for personal righteousness. Do you know what I mean by that? Like in your life, are you dying for holiness? And, and I want to challenge you with this this morning. Like sometimes we can just sort of, um, I don't know, be inclined, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time, we can be inclined to just sort of go through the motions. And I got all kinds of stuff going on in life and I'm just sort of living my life, right? Or maybe like minimizing sin. And we're like, you know, I've been struggling with this for a long time and it's just like, it's just my thing. I just, I'm gonna struggle with it for the rest of my life. And I wanna challenge you with this question. Like, are we star, are you starving for personal righteousness? Like, do we, do we look at our lives and our actions and think, I really wanna be good. You know, like, I really want to do the right thing. I, I really want to love people the way that God calls me to love people. I want to, I want to care for them. I want to serve them the way that God calls me to serve them. Last week, we talked about the fruits of the Spirit. Remember that? Because uh, we talked about meekness. Meekness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Like, do we look at these fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or meekness, self-control, and do we go, man, I want to live that way. You know, like, I want those to be the things that, like, flow out of me. Do I really care? Am I starving for personal righteousness? Do we long for that in our lives? That's the first thing that I think of when I think of what Jesus says. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I first start thinking about me. I'm like, am I hungering and thirsting, starving for righteousness in myself? Second thing I think about is, like, in the context of the world, and here's what, I, here's what I was asked myself this week. Am I starving for justice in the world? You know? Like, am I, am I starving for justice in the world? Like, do I care about the injustices done to the, the alien and the widow and the fatherless? Those are the words that the Bible uses a lot of times. The alien, the widow, the fatherless. Do I care about things like the plight of the poor? Do I, do I care about the greed of the rich? Do I care about the abuses that's so often done to women and children in our culture? Do I care about refugees who are persecuted by a corrupt government or an evil warlord? Do I care about crooked politicians never being held accountable? Do I, do I care about human trafficking? It's happening all around us. 
Like, do, do I really care about those? Do, do they create a pit in my stomach? You know, like, do I detest these injustices done? Do I, do I detest them enough to do anything about them? Like, ask yourself that question. Like, even pray. Like, even if all I could do is pray. Or is it so easy for us to, like, distract ourselves? Or go, yeah, that's terrible. And then we just go on with our lives. Like, that's different than starving for justice in our world. Like, I think these are the things that Jesus would have, like, pulled his disciples aside after this teaching and been like, here's what I mean by this. Happy are we when, like, our most basic longing is that my life is defined by righteousness, that I'm living my life the way that, that God wants me to live my life. Happy am I when I'm starving for justice in the world, when I care about the injustices that I see and I want to do something about them. And Jesus promises that when we're starving for righteousness and justice in ourselves and in the world, what does he promise? That we will be filled, right? Like that, that, that longing, that justice, that starving will be satisfied. Like those hunger pangs that we feel inside of us for righteousness will be quieted. The thirst will be quenched. Let me ask you, how do you think he does that? He promises, right, that when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. How do you think he does it? I think he does it through himself. I think he does it through himself. Like he gave himself to satisfy this hunger and thirst for righteousness that we have. I, I think this is interesting. So one of the cool things about the Bible, it, like some of us I know in here read this very regularly every day. Some of us in here, I would imagine, maybe you have a Bible and the only time that you grab it is when you come to church. And you go, I got my Bible, I'm going to church, right? So maybe you're more or less familiar with the Bible. One of the things that's so beautiful about the Bible, it's one book that's comprised of all of these other books written over thousands of years, and yet they tell the same story. Like it tells the exact same thing. And so I think it's something so interesting to me and, and powerful to me is how when the Bible says something, you know, 5,000 years earlier, and, and it's a prophecy then that Jesus fulfills, or it says something here, and then it says something by a different author thousands of years later, but it says the exact same thing. And so like this is one of those things. So Jesus says, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You, you know what it says, um, in John 6.35, I think this is so interesting. This is what Jesus says, okay, about himself. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. How's he going to fill us? Like that, that need that we have inside of us, how's he going to fill us? Through himself. He's the bread of life, right? Do you think he's talking about like physical hunger and thirst that he's going to satisfy? No. He's talking about like the spiritual hunger and thirst for righteousness that we feel. How about this one? This is John 4, 14. It says, whoever drinks those, so this is Jesus talking again. He says, whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Become a spring of water in them welling up to eternal life. Do you think he's talking about like satisfying our physical thirst here? No. He's talking about satisfying our thirst for righteousness. Uh, in John 7, he said, Let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. What's he talking about? He's talking about himself, right? Like this is what he offers us 
This is how he fills us. How about this? I thought this was interesting to me. Like this, this metaphor of using food and how we long for food and drink and how he ultimately satisfies. He says this in 1 Peter 2. He says, like newborn babies crave uh, pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. I guess I go, uh, Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And so you think about that, like the nourishment for our hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice that Jesus provides is good. It's good. And, and I want to take a second and challenge you with that. You know, like maybe for some of us, I don't know if we don't believe that or we forget that or we think other things are better, you know, taste better to us. I'd really challenge you today, this week, to like test God and see if he is good, if he tastes good, you know? Spend time with him, feast on him. As, as kind of an aside, one of the things that I, I was not expecting this week that I felt like God was just kind of challenging me with was, um, was this question. Do you ever wonder like where that hunger and thirst comes from? So like, Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'll bet you're like me, and we all feel that at some level, right? Like sometimes more than other times. Sometimes we seem to care about like personal holiness, injustices in the world more than other times. But I'll bet you're like me that all of us at some level feel that. And I was thinking about that this week, and I was reminded how important that was for me in coming, like becoming a Christian. And, and, I, and I won't share is quickly as I can with you, but maybe it will encourage you in your faith as well. Because I remember like this longing, ever since I was a kid, I remember this longing inside of me for like rightness, for like goodness. You know, I didn't always do it, <laughs> like don't get me wrong, but I remember like knowing what right was and what wrong was. And I didn't become a Christian until I was 20 years old. Before I was 20 years old, I, I probably thought I was a Christian, but I thought Christianity was like going to church, trying to do the right thing, and then feeling guilty all the time for not doing the right thing. Like that was my idea of Christianity. And so I was, I was off on that. But when I was 20, I felt like God like woke me up. And I thought like, what am I doing? You know? And I remember having this longing inside of me for righteousness. I wouldn't have used that word back then, but like I knew what was right. And like there is part like deep down inside of me, I was like, and I want to be that way. Like I want to do what's right. I knew what was wrong. And I don't want to do those things, you know? Like I, and it's just something inside of me. And I remember looking at the world and like you, we talk about injustices in the world. For me, like racism was always the thing that like ever since I was a kid, it just disgusts me, you know? Like how people can look down on somebody else because of the color of their skin, you know, or the turban they wear on their head or the shape of their eyes and go, you are less than me because you look like this, you know? Like ever since I was a kid, I hated it, like more than anything else. I hated that. And all of that was before I was a Christian. And so I remember thinking like, I know what is good, 
I know what is right. I'm not always doing those things, but I know what's right. I know like what, what that like loving people and serving people and caring about people is good. And, and so then I started reading the Bible. So this is when I was 20 years old. I, I never really read the Bible. I went to church, but I never really read the Bible before that. And so I started reading the Bible and I started reading about this Father, Son, Holy Spirit God that cared about the exact same things that like I just naturally did, you know? And, and I was struck by like, this sounds, take this the right way. I was struck by like how much I was like him, you know? Not because I was like perfect and all that sort of stuff, but like the things that he valued, I was like, yes, I know that's right. The things that he says are wrong, I was like, yeah, I know that those things are wrong. It was like the morality of God. This is so foundational in my faith and like coming to become a Christian. I was like, this morality of God is the same morality that like I'm programmed with, right? And I started reading the Bible more and I started reading about how the Bible says that you and I are made in God's image. Like you and I are made like as a reflection of him. I started thinking about that. I'm like, that seems like that seems completely true. You know, like the things that he says are really good and right and really bad and wrong. I just naturally agree with that. You know, I think that that's true. It's, it's almost like he programmed me to be just like him just like the Bible says. And then I read about sin and how sin entered the world and it like distorted that image. And I'm like, yes, that's exactly what I feel in my life, you know? It's like the programming got a virus, you know? It's infected with a virus. It's like the reflection. If you look in, the, in a bathroom mirror, you have like a perfect clear reflection, right? But if you take a really hot shower and you get out of the shower and you look in the mirror, it's all foggy, right? The reflection has been messed up. Like that's what sin does. And I'm like, I see this. I feel this in my life. Like this is what I experience every day of my life. The image is still there. I still know what right and wrong is. It's just gotten foggy, you know? It's just like got this, been infected with this virus. I struggle with sin, right? Like that was for me really big because I started going, I think I believe this stuff. You know, like everything that the Bible says about me as a human being, I've experienced those things. I think that this is truth. I want to get to know more about Jesus. Like this was paramount for me in coming to him. And then what the Bible said about God's response to all of this is what drew me to Jesus. Remember what Jesus says about our hunger and thirst for righteousness. He says, it will be filled. I like, there's another translation. So that could be translated as different ways. There's another translation that I like a little bit. It's a more literal translation that instead of that word filled, it uses satisfied. I like that better. Like when I think about, you know, hungering and thirsting, I, I like this idea of those feelings will be satisfied, right? And so it says this, this is in the ESV. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And so we already said that that satisfaction, that filling comes through Jesus. He's the bread of life. He gives us living water, right? But how? Like, how does he satisfy us? Well, I want to give you, as I kind of come around the end here, I want to give you three ways that he satisfies us that are really, and this is, I hope I can explain this well to you, that are all about things that he's done in the past, things that he's doing in the present, like currently, 
and things that he's going to do one day, right? So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We all go, at some level, I feel that. He promises to fill us or satisfy us. How does he do that? Three ways. Here's the first one. Satisfaction comes through the past work of the cross. So how does God satisfy this hunger and thirst for righteousness with us? Well, the bread of life was broken for us. The bread of life was broken for our justification. That's like the big theological word, for our justification. Like we, we remember, like God made us with a moral compass. We know what right and wrong is. Sin sort of infects all of that and gets us in trouble. And yet God says, I love you and I'm gonna make it right for you. And he sent Jesus to die on the cross to give us that righteousness, to like wipe the condensation off of the mirror so that the reflection is more clear, to, to like reprogram, you know, so that the virus is all gone, right? Like that's what God does inside of us. And so as like what, what happens with the cross is this righteousness that we long for, he goes, I declare you righteous, right? This is, what, this is what justification is. I declare you right. You're longing for it. I declare you righteous. And so even though we still struggle with sin, he says, it's, it's called the great exchange. No longer do I see your sinfulness. Now I see the righteousness of Jesus. Right? No longer do I see sinful old Brad. I see the righteousness of Christ in you. That's justification. That's what Jesus did on the cross. Only if we want it. Only if we want it. Like it's not automatically done to any of us. Just because Jesus died for all of us, he did. Just because Jesus loves all of us, he does. You and I have to choose if we want it or not. Like in order to be declared righteous, we have to receive it. We have to accept it. We have to say yes to Jesus. And what that means is, I see my need for it. Like, remember the first two Beatitudes? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Those are all about recognizing our need for forgiveness to be declared righteous by God. Like, they're all about, like, taking off my rose-colored glasses and going, uh, I am really messed up, right? I'm messed up, and I need Jesus. And Jesus offers us peace, this is, what, this is what he does on the cross, the, the past work on the cross. He offers us peace. He offers us forgiveness. He offers us filling and satisfaction. And so maybe you sit here today and like, that's where you're at. Like, that's what you have to decide. It's a decision that each of us have to make, you know, where you go, I've never done that before. And yet I still have this longing for righteousness. Maybe this first part is what you need to hear this morning. Here's the second way that he satisfies our hunger and thirst for righteousness. Satisfaction comes through the current work of the living water. So remember, he said, I'm the bread of life, and I give you living water welling up inside of you, like a spring flowing inside of you. What do you, what do you like when Jesus says in John 7, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink, whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. What do you think he's talking about here? Like, what do you think Jesus means by that? Like, what is or who is this living water that he's talking about? I think he's talking about the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, right? Like, we have this starving, this hunger and thirst for righteousness that the Holy Spirit is working inside of us to satisfy. 
He's actively changing us for the better. So if the first part, what Jesus did on the cross, is called justification, you are declared righteous. The second part is called sanctification. It's this process of making us holy, that the living water, the Holy Spirit is doing inside of us. He's changing us. He's refining us. He's making us more like Christ, but only if we allow it, right? Like only if we allow it. I said last week, those 11 kids that made decisions to follow Jesus, like they're not automatically gonna now start growing and growing and growing. Like they have a part in it, just like you and I have a part in it. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do inside of us. When we're declared righteous, then it's like you are, I now see the righteousness of Jesus in you. But we still struggle a lot of ways, right? Sanctification, like what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of us when we invite him and we allow him to, is he starts to make our lives look like that righteousness that God sees us with now. You tracking with me? Like this is what he does inside of us, but we have a part in it. Like we have to ask him to. We have to allow him. We have to desire him to. We have to take our hands off the reins and go, I'm not in charge anymore. God, I want you to lead my life. I want you to grow me and to refine me and make me more like Jesus. And then he does. He answers that prayer. He changes us day by day. It takes time. It's a slow process sometimes. Sometimes it looks like two steps forward and one step back. But when we ask him to and we allow him to, like he sanctifies us. He makes us holier. So that's the second way. So first way, what Jesus did on the cross. The bread of life is broken for us. When we say yes to Jesus, he declares us righteous. The second way that he meets like this starving for righteousness that we have is through the living water, through the Holy Spirit doing its work inside of us when we invite him to, when we allow him to. Here's the third way. Satisfaction comes through the future work of glorification and restoration. So Jesus did something in the past. He's doing something in us right now. And one day he's gonna complete the process. Here's what I know. None of us in this room is ever going to be perfect here in this life. None of us, right? Like what the Holy Spirit can do inside of us is dramatic. He can change us. And yet we still live in a fallen world, right? Like we still struggle with sin, every single one of us. And yet what Jesus says, this promise of filling and satisfaction still applies. You know when it happens? After this life. Like there is a time coming when you and I will be deeply and thoroughly refined and purified and sanctified. It's called, it's called glorification. Like God does something at the beginning. I say yes to Jesus. He sees me as righteous. He seals my heart. He gives me the Holy Spirit living inside of me. That Holy Spirit's working and growing. And I'm going to grow and grow and grow as I let him, as I allow him to. But one day he's going to finish the process in me. And all those things that I struggle with in this life, and I'm just like you. Like, we all struggle the same way. We go, doggone it, I did it again. You know, I was short with my daughter last night. I'm always short. But I was short in speaking with my daughter yesterday. And I was like, and she's like, Dad, stop yelling. I go, I'm not yelling. <laughs> well, I guess I am yelling, dang it. I did it again. I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry, Natalie. And I go, I'm, I'm frustrated, right? Because we still make mistakes. We still do the wrong things. But a day is coming when all of that is going to be different, when this life ends, this life isn't all that there is. 
when this life ends, there's a day coming when all that struggle with sin and personal righteousness that we desire but we don't attain is going to be dealt with. It's glorification. It's beautiful. And then, you know, go back to that uh, desire in our world. Like we desire justice in our world, right? Like we hate the injustices. There's a day when Jesus is going to make everything new, right? Like we talked about this a little bit last week as well. This is, this is uh, go ahead to that next verse in uh, Revelation 21. Revelation 21, 4, 5. This is what he says. He'll wipe every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. He who's seated on the throne says, I'm making everything new. Like all of the limitations, all of the injustices, all of the evil, all of the sin in this world one day is going to be taken care of. He's going to make it new. All the things that frustrate us and hurt us one day is going to be taken care of. Go, go ahead that next one. I need to read this. Like, just imagine what this is going to be like. It's kind of a long passage. So I saw, so this is John. So this is a vision that God gave the apostle John on what's to come. So this is like all about restoration when Jesus makes everything new. This is what John sees. He says, I saw no temple in the city for the temple. Its temple is the Lord God Almighty, the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, because there'll be no night there. They'll bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And you read that and you're like, this is what's coming, you know? Like the, the very presence of God with us in, in a apparently more physical way than we've ever experienced in this life, a more tangible way than we've ever experienced. There's nothing unclean that's going to be there. No struggle, no dandelions. I hate dandelions. There's no reason for them, Right? Like this is the world this is the world that he's making. Our part is to not lose hope. That's our part in it. Right? Don't lose hope. Like we can see the uh, sin that we struggle with and we could go, God, I I'm I hate that I keep doing this. And it could be really discouraging for us. We could see the injustices done in the world and we can go, I hate this. I hate the racism that I see. I hate the selfishness that I see and we could lose hope. I think what Jesus wants us to know is that one day everything's going to change and what we get a little bit of a taste of here and now, one day we're going to be able to experience fully and completely. We just can't lose hope. So, so let me end with some questions for you. Here's the first one. Are you being filled and satisfied with Jesus? Like, are you being filled and satisfied with Jesus? You know, like, maybe for some of us, it's that very beginning where we go, I, I need to say yes to Jesus. I need to, I need to trust him. I haven't accepted the initial, like, quenching of my thirst and, and appeasing of my hunger when he says, I declare you right. I've never experienced any of that yet. Have you experienced the righteousness that comes through Jesus' work on the cross? Have you experienced, are you experiencing the ongoing work of the living water, the Holy Spirit working inside of us? Are we being satisfied through our hope of what's to come? 
You know, when one day our bodies are going to be glorified, they're going to be different. When one day our world is going to be different, it's going to be restored, all of the junk will be gone. Are you being filled and satisfied with Jesus? Or are you trying to fill and satisfy yourself with other things? I thought a lot about that, you know, this, this whole food metaphor and drink metaphor. I thought a lot about this this week and I thought, I wonder how many of us are like malnourished Christians. You know, where it's like, I feel this hunger inside of me for righteousness. Maybe I don't recognize it, but I'm trying to fill that need through other things, things other than Jesus. Instead of feasting on Jesus, the bread of life, allowing the living water to quench my thirst, I'm looking at other things, you know that I think are going to satisfy me, that I think are going to fill me. And, you know, you choose whatever it is for you. Maybe it's comfort or money or success or human relationships or just being distracted or whatever it is for you. But are we trying to fill and satisfy ourselves with other things? Here's the third question. Are you meeting with Jesus regularly to receive that filling and satisfaction? So, so here's my greatest fear as a pastor. My greatest fear is... Um, when you leave here today or any other Saturday or Sunday, you um, spend no time with God. <laughs> and you go, I'm good. Like I went to church this week. feel really good. It's, it's kind of got me recharged until next week. And I'm going to be like pulling myself in, but then I'm going to get a little bit of a recharge again. And like that's, that's the cycle that we go through in the week. Like that's my greatest fear. Instead of spending any time in prayer, you know, like talking to God and listening to God instead of spending any time here. By the way, if you're somebody who struggles with reading, you know, or you struggle with like comprehension, or re- like there are translations of this, of this book that are so um, easy to read, like in our, our, the language we use today. Or there's audio versions where you just listen to it. But being exposed to God's word, it changes us meditating on his word, talking to him, listening to him, fasting with him, being in solitude with him. That's my greatest fear is that we don't do that. And we go, I'm good. I go to church. I'm good. Christianity is all about a relationship with God. Like, I hope you know that. I know many of you do. I know that. But the reminder is important for us because it's easy to sort of get off on a tangent and like think, well, I got to do this. It's really about doing this. I got to do that. And then I got to stop this. And I got to stop that. And it's like, no, that, that's legalism. That leads to frustration. It's all about connecting with the God of the universe who loves us. Right? It's not about going to church. Going to church doesn't make us a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes us a car. Right? Like, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't work that way. It's all about a relationship with Jesus. So do you have that? You know, are you growing in that? And it's interesting, the more time that we spend with him, he, he fills us, he satisfies us, but the more time we spend with him, the more time than we want to spend with him. I mean, it's, it's almost counterintuitive. He satisfies this starving for righteousness that we have while simultaneously making us more starving for righteousness than he offers. I guess what he does inside of us. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled.